Welcome to Feeding Frenzy, a podcast brought to you by the Breastfeeding Resource Center. The BRC is a nonprofit organization in Abington, Pennsylvania. We're here to provide support on various parenting topics to help you get through the roller coaster ride of parenting. I'm your host, Colette Acker. Let's take this journey together. Welcome to this edition of the BRC's Feeding Frenzy, where we talk about breastfeeding, chest feeding, and all kinds of parenting topics. You know, the BRC opened its doors in 2003, and the goal was to provide expert lactation care. We've grown quite a bit since those early years, and now we typically see about 40 families a week. So there's a lot of experience within the BRC walls. And today I have with me Louisa Brandenberger and Jen Sheep, who have been IBCLCs for 14 years and have worked with me here at the BRC for all of that time. Um, welcome, Jen, and welcome, Louisa. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Cliff. Sure. So what I wanted to talk about was the typical reasons people come into the BRC. And I feel like when I think about that, there's top five that show up in my head, although there are plenty more. Um, I want to talk about those. Absolutely. So I think the most common is sore nipples. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. So what kind of what kind of things do you guys see that people run into? What's causing the pain? First and foremost is uh, latch and positioning. I really feel that uh, some people have an idea in their head for what it is that they are supposed to be doing and then the way that they go about doing it, they have a hard time actually practicing it. So for them to be able to be taught the better way, I, I don't always want to say correct because it's like some families feel when you use correct or incorrect that they're doing something wrong. And we always say that it's it's a learning curve. I think a lot of people have this idea um, that as seen on TV, breastfeeding, and I think for newborns, it's not as seen on TV. Um, and I think they're also used to what they, you know, learned in the hospital. And once you're at day five, six, seven, things have changed and we have to change along with our babies. Yeah, and we come from a bottle feeding culture, so right. we don't see it done. Exactly. And I remember teaching prenatal classes for years, and one of the questions I said, well, how many of you have ever seen a yep. woman breastfeed? And in the years and years ago, there was hardly any. Then there started to be more hands, and I say, how many of you have seen five or more women breastfeeding? Nobody would raise yep. their hands. So yep. we don't know what it looks like is a big problem. Yeah. So. That's primarily, especially in the hospital setting, we work on latch and positioning, but we always tweak it here too. That's the first thing we want to, we, we make sure that's good before we move on to anything else. So what are some other reasons they're sore? Well, I think the big one that we hear a lot about uh, are some oral anomalies, probably tongue ties is a big one. There's a lot of families who come in asking, my nipples hurt. It, yeah. Does my baby have a tongue tie? I think it's just out there so much. 
Yeah, with social media yeah. and the internet, people are yes. jumping to that. Yep. When there can be so many other things oh, in the baby's yeah. mouth that could be impacting it. Right. We have short tongues. We have big tongues. tongues. Right. <laughs> we have those high palates and all kinds of uh, different things. So it's yeah. not always a tongue tie. Um, but yeah, different structures in the mouth can impact. Yep. And sometimes it's just fixing the latch and positioning. That, right, that yes. makes yeah. everything. People think, oh, it's a short, shallow latch. It's because my baby has a tongue tie. And when you tuck that baby in, lo and behold, there's no pain. Yeah. Or that lipstick, that's a big one. You have that lipstick-shaped nipple after nursing. People just assume it's a tongue tie. And a lot of times it's just tucking that baby in a little closer and... Getting them on the wrong, right angle. And yeah. even as simple as something of continuing to hold and support the breast. Sometimes some uh, families don't realize that is a big important thing. They'll hold the breast, support the breast, shape the breast, but as soon as baby gets on, they let go, mm -hmm. and then everything changes. Right, especially when they're large. Yes. yes. <laughs> so we talk about the baby side. What about the mom side? Something <laughs> that most people don't realize is nipples do come in different sizes. Oh, yeah. Um, many different sizes. Many different and sizes shapes. and shapes. Um, and obviously babies come in different sizes and shapes, too. So sometimes their mouths are tiny and they are not able to fit the nipple all the way in. Or they can fit the nipple in, but not enough in order to really get that milk moving. Yeah. There and then you have your flat, your short, you're, you're really long, the ones you can hang your hat on. <laughs> right. um, you know, the various shapes of the nipples can really impact the latch. I always say square peg, round hole. You know, you can't, they just don't fit together yet. And they eventually do, but in those early days sometimes. And that's rare. Yeah. You know, right. Pr most of the time. Yeah. Um, you know, for species survival. Yeah. <laughs> we do yes, match up. We, figure we, out. Do, yeah. we do match up. Um, but yeah, and then there's also inverted nipples that right. yes. can make things difficult. Yes. And you have true inversion where they're really tucked in and there's skin holding them in. Like pulling it back. Yeah. And then you have the ones who if you fiddle with them correctly, yeah, right. they'll, they'll join us. Yeah. And some of that is just from birth. If someone was induced and it's been, they were filled with all kinds of fluids and their nipples become flat and they think, oh, I have inverted nipples. And then I see them, I'm like, they're not inverted. Maybe in the hospital they were, or flat. Flat. Yeah, you see that a lot. When yeah. they're pumped with lots of fluid during labor, if they've had long extended labor and they were in the hospital the entire time, they're, when their ankles are yeah. completely swollen, yes. yeah. so are their I, areolas I, and nipples. I look at ankles all the time in a consult. I'm like, so, I wonder what the breasts are going to look like if that's what your ankles look it like. looks like you're wearing flip-flops in December. December. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> your poor feet. <laughs> and then there's some other issues for with sore nipples, um, which could be some type of infection. So what do we see there? Sometimes we see yeast, but, you know. Fresh. We don't see a lot of fresh, you know, maybe in the summer months a little bit more often. Um, yeah, August. Yeah, a wet bathing suit. I just think of yeah. <laughs> yeast likes That's to thrive right. in warm, dark, dark environments. Moist yes. environments. Moist. Moist. Yeah, moist. Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> um, yeah, so we see that in August. And sometimes in the winter months, if people are all bundled up in a lot yeah. of clothes. Yeah. But it's not as... 
I don't see it as often yeah. as we used to no, for I, some reason. Yeah, no. I could count on probably both hands how many times I've seen it in the last year. Maybe probiotics. Yeah. More people are using. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Although it's very quick to be diagnosed as thrush. So. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so with the yeast, it's typically bilateral. And the baby may have symptoms. Mm -hmm. They're super duper itchy. Yeah. Raw. They hurt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, All the time. It's not an intermittent pain. I don't right. Think. Uh, yeah, and latch on pain's crazy yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, where the other, the bacterial infection, can be similar. Sure. Mastitis can be. Are you thinking about I mean, mastitis? On the, on the nipples. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Oh, nipples. absolutely. Yeah. Just had some last week. They were a little. Yeah, it's really hard to tell the difference between the um, yeast and bacterial infection, but um, with uh, they're both extreme, extremely painful. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think we see either of those, but that something that goes into the category of sore nipples. Yeah. And the other reason people are sore is all the pumping, right? Yeah. Too hard. <laughs> like their vacuum is up too hard. They think they have to turn it up higher to make it work more effectively yeah. when, in fact, that is not the case at all. I tell um, them it doesn't have to be on high. You're not a better woman if it's yeah. up to mm -hmm. high. You just, you know, pump for comfort. So I think we're just, we just want it so bad. Yeah. They just turn it up they really do. high and it winds up biting them in the butt a yeah. little bit. Especially if they don't see much happening when they are pumping. They think they need to turn it up higher. Yeah. Um, Sometimes they're not aware of how long they need to pump for. Everybody yeah. thinks that they need to continue pumping as long as the pump is running as well. So that's not. Oh, yeah, you hear 30, mm -hmm. 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, don't stay. Or the wrong size flange can yep. really. Yeah, and that goes along with the variance in nipple sizes. Yeah. So it's just coming out that we're, you know, having this variety of different size shields where we used to have three. Right. Yes. Three or four? Four. Four. Yeah. Four in total. Mm -hmm. um, now we have like Starting 15 to 10, 20. Starting at 10, 10 up, up to, to 36. 36. 36. Yeah. 36 and many in between. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think the realization came that nipples come in different sizes. But yeah, pumping with the wrong size breast shield is going to cause a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. So I usually say to them, how do I know it's the right one? I'm like, it feels good and it gets all the milk out. Right. <laughs> or it feels okay. Putting your nipples into a machine that plugs into the wall is not really feel good. Not that <laughs> inviting of a thought, but it shouldn't hurt. Hurt. So yeah, sore nipples. A variety of reasons for that, but that's the biggest reason I feel like people come here. What's another one? For sore nipples? No, the another reason, reason oh. that they come in. Their baby won't latch, mm. or they can't get their baby to latch, or their baby's refusing to latch. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. That's the hardest. And if it happens early on, you know, and they're pumping already, they're already on the crazy roller coaster of pumping yeah. and bottle feeding. And what happens when you start that? Mm -hmm. The baby gets overfed. The baby mm -hmm. gets used to the fast flow. flow the right. baby, you know, and yeah. it's just, that's so hard to turn that around sometimes. And then they don't. They don't trust themselves. They don't trust their baby. Right. And their baby's screaming at them in some cases. Their baby doesn't like them. And yeah. it's just yeah. so hard. They take it personally because they're screaming at their breast. And uh, and <laughs> right. it's not it's not that they're upset with the breast. I just want to eat and I want it now. And I want it the way I want it. Yes. Yeah. 
And I find a lot of the times that when when you see a baby refusing early on, they weren't breastfeeding well before that. Right. They learn pretty quickly. When I go here and I don't get what I need, I'm going to start fighting it. it. I don't want to do it. Um, So we have that early on breast refusal. What are some other reasons that they are refusing besides not getting enough milk? Um, How they are latching there. So it's just like what they're not like you were talking about so like the the bad latch they're not getting a whole lot at the breast um and just like how they're being held at the breast sometimes that makes an effect on babies too just if they're not feeling uh, supported and comfortable and, and that's a lot of the things that i go over with with the families as well too i see sometimes how moms are holding their babies and their legs are kind of like out and dangling and little details that are not realized of completely supporting a baby, bringing them in so their feet can touch something, affects what it is that they're doing at the breast too. So they can have a bad latch and then their intake at the breast as well. So they get frustrated. I remember um, someone at a conference saying, you know, to tuck in the legs and support the whole body. She goes, could you imagine hanging from a balcony and someone's putting a sandwich in your mouth? You're <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. not exactly. going to enjoy that meal very not much. Not at all. Yeah, so you have too many bottles. The baby's not positioned well. They're getting mad. They're uncomfortable. They're not able to get the milk. Or if it's actually a supply problem where yeah. there is not enough milk available and they get angry. And you see those babies come off the breast, they'll come back on, try again, they'll yank their heads off. They're like, what the heck? Where's the milk? Um, So, and then sometimes, what about those early babies? Yeah, we see babies born, you know, 37 weeks, 36 weeks. They're just not prepared or capable of breastfeeding. They're really sleepy babies. Not not all, but some. Um, They're really sleepy. They're hard to keep engaged. Um, and, and so we're, we're, parents are spending, you know, 20, 30 minutes of just keeping the baby awake to get yeah. them to stay engaged, which can be really frustrating. More for the parent. The baby at that point sometimes is perfectly fine taking a <laughs> half an ounce and falling asleep. And right. life is fine. And we know as, you know, lactation consultants and parents that our babies need more than that. And so that can be really, really frustrating for a parent. Like, I have milk and he won't take it. Yeah. And it's not because they don't want to. They're just, they, I always joke they should just still be like swimming around inside, inside. the belly, they you know? They should still be inside. They're they shouldn't not have really to be out here right. doing this yet. They shouldn't have mm-hmm. to suck, swallow, and breathe. And they shouldn't have to, you know, hey, mom, dad, feed me. They don't know how to do that stuff. Yet. They're too young. Yep. It's like asking a seven year old to drive a car. Right. Right. Yeah. Just not ready. <laughs> not try, ready right? yet. <laughs> they might try. They yeah, might right. make an effort, but. <laughs> They can't see over the drive, (laughs) the steering wheel. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so sore nipples, baby won't latch. What, you know, what are some tips that you use to get babies to latch? Increase that supply. Yeah, make sure there's milk available Mm -hmm. so when they get there, they're rewarded. Yeah. 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 So if it's a low supply issue, like the ultimate goal is to get the baby onto the breast for most families. And uh, when we're putting a baby to the breast where the supply is low, they're going to get frustrated. So ultimately, first step in the process is to make sure you work on getting that supply up. 
because in turn you will have a baby willing and happy to go to the breast mm. because there is more milk coming out when they're there. Absolutely. Nobody wants to do work without yeah. getting reward. Yeah. And and sometimes it's just fix, fixing the latch mm -hmm. uh, and the positioning that they're on well and they get milk. Um, and what about nipple shields? They're appropriate for some babies. Not Absolutely. all. You know, sometimes, especially sometimes those early babies, the ones we were just talking about that are sleepy and tired and aren't engaged, sometimes we can pop a shield on and it really engages that baby. It kind of gets them to stay active longer at the breast, which is ultimately the goal. Like Jen was saying, sometimes just sneaking a little milk in that shield can also be helpful. And I, I can't tell you last time I had a family who was using a shield at three, four, five, six, seven months. It's not all that typical, at least in my experience. Usually in the early days, sometimes they're really helpful. They get a bad name. Yeah. And they have a bad rap and people think they're horrible. And listen, at the beginning when it starts working, you're like, this is amazing. And then a couple of weeks into, you're like, I hate this thing. Yeah. And there usually comes a time where we can kind of pull away the shield. And it's just, it's a, a short-term help for some and babies. that's the key. I think we need to tell parents about short-term. Um, and I think... In the outpatient setting, I waste more than I actually oh, use. I'm like, let's try a shield. Yeah, nope. That didn't work. <laughs> Never mind. Yes. <laughs> but, yes. Um, yeah, so which always makes me think in the hospital setting where it's harder to tell if the baby's latched well and right. able to get milk, you know, how many times are we giving it to the parent and it's not a good match? Right, yeah. You Especially know. in the hospital setting because it, the colostrum and there's not milk necessarily flowing easily compared to once the milk has really increased. Sometimes there's a half an inch between the mom's tip of the nipple exactly. and the shield. How, right. does, exactly. how does the milk jump through it? Right. Exactly. I want to make different nipple shields to accommodate different... Right different nipples yes. next next on the agenda <laughs> mark it on my calendar um and so we have uh sore nipples breast refusal production and removal problems so that's kind of a mouthful what do yeah. we mean by so that it's kind of a little it could be uh supply is low or the baby can't get the available milk out so it kind of goes either way um and they're they're handled a little differently we look at them in a different way if supply is low what do we you know we're looking at the it all goes back to latch and positioning and, and and getting stimulation and if and if supply is low and we have a baby who's really frustrated at the breast we still keep them at the breast but we often will kind of pop in some pumping to kind of get some sustained good stimulation for mom yeah i think the key thing is is like if we have a baby who's not gaining weight it's not always a low milk supply problem. No, right. no, not it at all. It could be that the baby can't get the milk, but milk is available. Right. Or yeah. it's there isn't enough milk available, and we have to work on the parent side to get the milk supply going. Right. So when, I didn't want to put in the category of baby not gaining. This was sort of, is it a production problem or right. a milk removal problem? Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but you see both sides. <laughs> So what do you guys do for low milk supply? I try to keep the baby at the breast as often as I can, just for confidence for mom, time at the breast for the baby. Um, we always go back to the, you know, number one rule is feed your baby. Number two is preserve your supply. And they're just like some basics. So we're getting that baby to the breast, I think is important to keep them acclimated to the breast. 
if they're getting milk or not, we still want to keep the baby at the breast. And then I think we start putting in a little bit of pumping, some uh, some skin to skin, things like that can be really, really helpful to, to, to build supply. Yeah. What about supplementing directly at the breast? Yeah. Because in the other method, we are yeah. take, talking about breastfeeding, yeah. supplementing, right. and then pumping. So it's that triple feeding thing that everybody knows isn't sustainable long term. Yeah. So like... How soon would you bring one of those families back to check in on oh, things? Pretty quick, within a few a, days, within a yeah, days, within yeah. before yeah. a week, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Just it's not that forever plan, it and that's really those words come out of my mouth. This is not the forever plan, yeah. But we're gonna see if we can boost up supply. As supply goes up, it gets easier and easier to get the baby back on the breast, or put the baby on the breast with an SNS, which kind of pulls out the pumping part. Yeah, the supplemental nursing system allows you to supplement directly at the breast and the baby um, stimulates the breast, gets extra milk, so remains more active and does the job of the pump. In hopes of mom being able to cut out pumping. Yeah. So she doesn't have to do that triple feeding. It has to be a great breastfeeder. And so when you're in a situation of a baby who doesn't feed well, one of those supplementers don't always work. No. Um, what do you say about people just breastfeed more? That'll that'll do it. <laughs> we have to evaluate what baby's capability is. If the baby is and capable, yeah, yeah, both of them. <laughs> if it's really low, if it's really low, then uh, that's not sustainable because yes, mom and baby can keep breastfeeding absolutely, but what's happening? What's baby taking in? Yeah. She's, the baby's going to be connected to the breast 24-7 if that's the case, and that's not And maybe not, not getting all the milk. Either. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. you have a baby on there all the time who's not getting all the milk. So that's where our scale comes into play. And um, I have, you know, heard of some people like, we don't need a scale yeah. because, you know, you have all these other things that you should be able to look at. And I'm like, it is a piece of the puzzle, but it is oh, an awesome piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Yes. And it might be... You know, it, it allows us to create a plan that's yes. appropriate for them. Absolutely. Have you had babies who are gulping up a storm? You hear them across <laughs> yeah. the room and you pop say. them on the scale. And they take like point two. Yes. <laughs> and they're like, oh, what no. happened? Yeah. yeah. So those babies or are the ones. Or there's a really quiet baby and you're like, I don't think this kid got milk. And then you put them on the scale and they took 1.4 and you're like, Hmm. You're really good. Stealthy. Uh huh. Yes. So babies can fool us. I've been fooled. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I love to do the pre and post weight checks to add that piece of the puzzle to help make a plan that's good for this particular family. That's a lot of families whose babies, going back to, you know, not gaining and things like that. The question is, well, how much do I supplement? And I think that also makes it, it just gives us an idea. You have a baby who's getting, you know, 0.1 at the breast or a baby who's getting 0.8 at the breast. It doesn't seem like that much, but that comes into play when you're supplementing. Absolutely. And to give them a rough idea of how much the baby will need. Um, I I always think of a family who has like a, a five or six day old and they've gone to the pediatrician and there's weight loss and they say give two ounces after every feeding and and they are so upset because the baby won't take it. And right. they think they're doing something wrong or not feeding the baby appropriately when it's just not, an, you know, that wasn't a, a they good amount. They needed a half an ounce. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. And they're fine. And I, I do that talk, how, when, and how much to supplement where, uh, to healthcare professionals just, just for that reason. 
you're giving a number and you don't even know how much this They're kid taking, is taking. Right. Yeah. So are you giving a number that's an entire feed's worth or are you giving supplement. a supplement, you yeah. know? Yeah, that old uh, give them until they, they keep going doesn't necessarily yeah. apply to every baby. And uh, I had a family who was finger feeding and I they were told to keep going until the baby pierces her lips. Not even a, a certain amount, so. Until mm. they throw up. Just they keep feeding them. So We forgot yes. too, <laughs> essentially. Or 15 minutes. However much they can take in 15 minutes. I'm like, do you know how much I can uh, eat That's in one of my minutes? favorites. The 15-minute one. 15, yeah. 15, and 15. 15. Right. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I hope he's not listening to the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so... The supplementation plan when there's low milk production is, you know, it's vital to understand what the baby's capable of doing. And what about those babies who can't, can't get milk? What do we do with them? What are we looking for? How can we help them? Looking in their mouth. <laughs> yeah. You know, just looking at their mouth, looking at the, the whole picture. Yeah. That's the so key. So we do a full, like, we do it with every baby, but oral assessment is there anything going on that make like if the mother's milk supply is good and this baby can't get milk what the heck is going on with the transfer right. and so part of here at the brc besides us um we have an occupational therapist here who's and we have other resources in our area um one of our upcoming podcasts is with a physical therapist who works with babies who are struggling to get milk so sometimes we can't fix everything and um, we even uh, refer on to somebody else, but we'll we'll save all that fun info for the next <laughs> one. So we have sore nipples, breast refusal, production or removal problems. What about the fussy baby? See a lot of those. Lot I saw one those. of those today. And what do parents blame? Themselves and breastfeeding and breastfeeding <laughs> and their milk supply and what wrong. they're eating. Are they eating or, something? Yeah. It's it's always something that they're doing wrong yeah yes, which is really sad yes because it's not sometimes it's nobody's fault it's just the situation or yep. like you, you still go back latch and positioning a mom who has like a, a parent who has way too much milk and this baby is gobody 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 and like spitting up like some simple positioning changes can make it that much more pleasant of a feeding session and we now have this not so fussy baby or not a overly gaining baby or you know right. lots of it's just yeah, management. The oversupply is, you know, sort of an easy one in most cases where we can reduce the milk production and help this baby manage it a little better. And sometimes it's a natural overproduction and sometimes it's induced. Yes. Right. We are so hyped about pumping these days. Everyone gets TikTok, a pump. Instagram. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and when can I start pumping? When can I? Yeah. Little do they know. No one says I love pumping. Um, <laughs> no. So I think sometimes we're terrified. We have horrible maternity leave. We're stockpiling our freezer full of milk. Because what if? What if? What if? I don't know what if. What if? <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> All of the what ifs. Yeah. So I think oversupply is a big one, whether it's natural or self-induced. Um, and, and then, of course, there's the opposite. They're like, right. I don't know. The baby's not burping. Something's wrong. You know, the baby's colicky. And then you pop the kid on the scale and you're like, maybe it's not enough milk. Yeah. They look very similar sometimes. The oversupply yeah. and undersupply. Under they're you would fussy think would and miserable. Feeding frequently. You know, there's, there's so many similarities between the two. And 
we again that internet we just had a mom and support group it was like well i think it was oversupplied so i started block feeding and i was like oh. Oh. but was the baby really gaining but the baby wasn't gaining well yeah that's, the, thought main, it was... that's the main difference between is is baby's weight gain yeah mm-hmm. look at the numbers on the scale yeah. mm-hmm. if it's double the norm yes, yes we will work on your oversupply if it yes. is normal weight gain it is not oversupply. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, something else is going on. Yeah. What about um, food intolerances and allergies? You hear about uh, diet, I stopped eating this, I stopped eating that. I think things have just, we've learned a lot since yep. I know when I had my children and what I could could and could not eat. Um, everybody comes in and, oh, my baby's fussy, so I stopped dairy. My mom said, I said, the family I had today, is like, oh, I stopped dairy because... And I'm like, but why? Because <laughs> her baby was fussy. Um, this baby, but, you know, it, it's, I don't think it's that. And it's usually not. It's... Well, and we're hearing less and less about stopping to eat broccoli. Right. Yes. You sure. know. Thankfully. Thankfully. Yeah. So. Because there's no chunks of broccoli coming out. That's what I say. But, you know. There's no big, giant <laughs> pieces of fiber coming through your breast milk that's making your baby gassy. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that those diet things seem to have so. almost yeah. gone away. Yes. Um, but, yeah, th- people know about the dairy intolerance. Yeah. But they're going to that first. Yeah. Like, I feel like. I and, like dairy way too much to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Ice cream, cheese. Yes. It's oh, delicious. Um, yeah. So if you don't need to do that, it <laughs> would be great. Uh, but sometimes I've even seen other food allergies. I have a picture of this baby. He just looks miserable. He's got a rash all over his body. He wasn't gaining weight. And he had several food intolerances and allergies. So I, it was um, dairy and wheat was yeah. causing the problem. Mm-hmm. And it can really impact them negatively, even with weight gain. They're not just gassy and fussy. I think we see with moms, too. There's a lot of... of- people who have to go on that who don't have wheat and don't they have celiacs and they're vegetarian and then you say to them so we have all these things that we can't eat anyway and then we add on don't eat dairy and for some people that is all their protein sources is is from dairy um so that's why i always don't want to because i think people are limiting their diets more and more because i think we know more now and it's and it's hard enough because because most most moms like were making sure that they are eating because they're so focused on their baby that sometimes they're not. They're not. So like yeah. to take away that s- quick easy cheese stick. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. For yogurt. If they don't have to do it. Yeah. Right. And then there's the other thing, the problem with um problems associated with reflux or if they're diagnosed with GERD. We see those babies like they're miserable. They miserable. Are. And so they sad. they really are. And they start fighting at the breast. So that, that may be, an, we got to add that to, the, to breast the breast refusal. refusal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is usually like at seven or eight weeks, if they've been suffering from it, they start backing off. Yeah. It's They're just, like, I want to eat. No, I don't. Yes, I, I do. No, it I hurts. don't. Yes, so I good. do. No, I don't. <laughs> I want to. It'll make me feel better. No, I can't yeah. do it. They're just back and backing on and off the breast. Uncomfortable. But yeah. They want to eat. They just can't tolerate it. Or they eat and they're just screaming afterwards. They're in so much pain. Yeah. So, but you look at, you know, oversupply, undersupply, GERD. They're crying yeah. during feedings, Painful. after feedings. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. trying to figure out which one that is. And if you go to the dairy first, it may not resolve any of those other yeah, things. Right, right. And it, and that again, it's a quick measure. The intake, use that right. scale, determine is it oversupply, undersupply. Or is this kid self-limiting because he's in pain? 
Um, so the fussy baby, there's all kinds of things. Or and parents who say, "Oh, my baby has colic," that doesn't happen that much anymore. No, yeah. You really know, doesn't. and if you if you look up colic, it's like we don't know what it is. It's like, they say it's a symptom and, of something. Yes. But every parent knows it's a GI distress. Yeah, this right. kid is like pulling it. up the leg, screaming. It happens after feeding. So I think this oversupply, undersupply, food intolerance, and GERD. It's a huge part of yeah. the of the colic issue. Um, so, what's the final one? And I think Jen, you came up with this I final one. I did come up this yeah. one because this is one that does tend to come up quite often. So, it's normal development changes and their impact on breastfeeding. So, we look through the different stages that babies go through from the start and expectations of how things are going to proceed as they start to get older. So what they start with as they grow, it's developmental changes. Forever changing. Forever changing. So <clears throat> what is said in the hospital when it's done in the hospital is not going to be done even at like two weeks, even at a week. So expect changes. Expect things to, to just kind of keep developing as the baby's developing so yeah I think that's why I like people to keep coming back mm -hmm. because even what we told them two or Changes. three weeks ago yeah. is going to be different now right. and I feel like people don't trust themselves to just follow or their, their baby yeah. yeah and so like checking in and seeing what the changes are um I I love well and it's so interesting that you talk about the hospital versus a week out so we also do hospital work, and we've always said it's two different jobs. Yes. Hospital LC, outpatient LC, right. two entirely different jobs. Right. And what we say in the hospital may not be applicable, be applicable <laughs> on day <laughs> four, five, yeah, six, that anything. Quick. So that quick. Yeah, it changes a lot. Mm -hmm. So that's the one thing in the newborn stage. What else in the newborn stage are we seeing that, like, changes and freaks people out well that onset of copious milk is is it's very different on day one of life to once you've had that onset of milk day three four five whenever it is you're like oh breastfeeding was going swimmingly it was great baby latched all was good and then you have these full breasts and the baby's latching poorly or shallowly because the breasts are so full yeah and you know everyone thinks that your breasts are full of just milk. I remember being like, I'm going to pump and get 10 ounces. And yeah. it's like... <laughs> An ounce comes yeah, out. Yeah, right? you're like, Your what? breasts that's are it? still full. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's the biggest change that we're seeing just in that early week. Well, even with that, the yeah. the, the idea of that uh, setting rules, yeah, feed your baby every two hours, or things like that. And so maybe they do want to eat every two hours on day th two or three. Right. And then milk supply increases and this kid's knocking back an ounce yeah, and are sweet. so full. <laughs> and they may go three, maybe even three and a half. And right. the parents are freaked out. He's supposed to eat every two hours. Yes. Yeah. So I think that watching Frequency. the clock thing doesn't work in breastfeeding. It or not. anything. <laughs> Sometimes I hate when people tell me I have to eat yeah. lunch at noon. I yes. know, right? Um, yeah, so that's in the early stage. What happens around two months old that changes? Yeah. The the different signs that parents were going by in the beginning in that newborn stage of like it, their babies putting their hands in their mouths, their fingers sticking in their mouths, their sticking out their tongue. 
the development change of, oh, look, these are mine. I can put them in my mouth. What do they taste like? You know, I want to explore them. It's not always feed me, rooting, feed me, feed yeah. me, rooting signs that we were going by in those newborn stages. Yeah, you have parents ask you that all the time. See, does it mean that they're hungry and the kid's <laughs> yeah. like happy, <laughs> sucking on their fist? We're like, no. They're freaking out. <laughs> they just, they're just happy and they love, it's their new toy that yep. they brought with them. Yep. How about if they don't fall asleep after feeds anymore? That's... Well, they must still be hungry because in the first week, did they they'll wake? Sleep in they their eat. Drunken they stupor. fall asleep. Yep. They eat. They wake. They wake. They fall asleep. It's that's all they really do. Yeah. And as they get older, they start staying awake longer. They have the ability to kind of be a little bit more alert between feeding sessions. And, and it's not... so hard because there's nothing really to do with them. No, it's hard to play like with a the baby. On a log. <laughs> they don't do much. That's when you put them in tummy time. Yeah. Not something fun yeah, to do, a... but they don't do a whole heck of a lot. What about at three months? Have you seen some changes at that point? I know one that I see often. I just think they become more nosy. They just want to see what's going on around the world. And I always see those kids who, like, they're happily breastfeeding and they take their supplemental bottle and at three months they decide not to do one of those. Sure. Like adamantly, yeah. adamantly. Yeah. Like, no, oh, I'm not taking a bottle anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah. What were you thinking? Um, and completely start fighting it. It's crazy. I, it yeah. always seems right at 12 weeks that that happens. Those most fun go back to bottle work. refusal consults. Yes. yes, yes. Thankfully, they're not on our top five list because <laughs> <laughs> they're rough. Mm -hmm. They are. Yeah, and then um, what about three to six months? What kind of differences do you see then in a baby? Um, the, they just they get good at what they do. Oh, yeah. They're more efficient. So again, another developmental change based on. But my baby was feeding for like fifteen or twenty minutes before. Now they're done in like seven. There's no way, no yeah. way that they got everything that they needed. It, I keep on pushing and I'm, and I'm pushing them on the breast and they're pushing away. I'm like, maybe they're done. <laughs> They're like, no, mom, thank you. I've had my fill for now. There, that goes back to watching your baby, not the clock. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget that picture of that baby who looks like the Michelin man. Yeah. And the mom walked in and said her baby, she was worried her baby's not getting enough and <laughs> trying not to giggle. And this kid was taking five or six ounces out of feeding, and yeah. she was trying to feed him every two to three He's hours. Like, Leave me alone. He's like, and he was fighting her. He hates it. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> Just not hungry. Mm -hmm. He loves you. <laughs> well, what about at um, four months? There's uh, always the favorite. We'll yeah. ask. Louisa's also our sleep, holistic sleep coach. So she's always hears about the four month. The four month sleep regression. Yeah. You know? Some families have started to get in a little bit of a groove of a longer stretch between, you know, be overnight between feeding sessions. And then it all goes to pot because so many developmental things are happening at four months. Um, and it's just naturally, it's very normal for babies to start waking at night and everyone panics. It, my baby's not getting enough. That's why he or she is waking at night. And it really doesn't have anything to do with it. Um, so that can really throw a wrench. It's also, you know, we might have gotten back to work and like we really need our sleep because we have to go to work in the morning and this little one's like, hello. And like once, and they're not necessarily happy. Right. 
um, waking up. And it's not like just once. It's like two, three, four, five times a night. Right. And they automatically can... think it's food yeah. related. Yeah. It's automatic. There's not enough food. And I'm like, no, there's so many other things happening. Yeah. That's impacting And that's a it. big thing in our culture, filling the baby up so they sleep better. Yeah. And they've done a lot of studies. And they don't, it doesn't, and they've done studies with formula to breast milk. And, you know, when our kids were younger, you know, 20 years ago, formula was different than it is today. And I think babies, a lot of the proteins are broken down, so it's a little easier for them to digest. So we're not seeing babies who are formula fed necessarily sleeping longer. Right. Formula fed babies have a four-month sleep regression also. Yes, yes. We forget that. It's not just for breastfed babies. It's for babies in general. It is a sleep regression (laughs) period for babies. Yeah. Yeah. What about that distracted baby at four months? That gets to be frustrating when you're, especially if you have an older child and, you know, the toddler's running around or you're out and about and you're, you know, at the park and (laughs) the dog walks by. There's my nipple. The bird flies by the window. They're just, and they and mom any little thing right. and they think there's something wrong why 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 won't they stay on the breast they're well you wonder nosy. if the sleep regression has something to do with that Ooh, if they're possibly. taking little snacks and then they yeah. do have to eat in the middle right. of the right. right it could be it could be absolutely yeah because they have to make up for it if they're just snacking they sometimes you will see them wanting to burst longer they'll get their milk any way they can yeah they don't need to do it between you know, 7A and 7P. Even though it works better for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, some sometimes going into a dark room, but when you have toddlers or yeah. you need to go out, it's so hard to hard. keep them. How, how, did either of you try um, those necklaces, those n- nursing necklaces? I've seen babies in the office them that sometimes can really grab their attention. Yeah, keep and them busy. And they become teething necklaces later in life, mm-hmm. so they're, they're kind of dual-purposed. Yes. But you do see babies, you know, pulling on mom's shirt or things like that. Just it kind of grabs their attention. They enjoy it. Yeah. It's worth a try. It's worth anything's worth a try. Sometimes it's painful too when they kind of pop off and then pop on and then pop off. Yeah, because <laughs> some of them really yank. Yeah, those older babies—they're yeah. just not that, not that careful. Yeah. The other option is is trying to get them to feed when they're sleepier. Dream feeds can become a thing for the baby who's distracted during yeah. during the daytime to try and get them to eat a little bit more. So that's one of my big go tos. Is like. It, it, you're going through this as far as like a possible sleep regression and the, the distracted baby. So the best time to try and get them to eat is when they're sleeping or sleepier. And a lot of families do agree that is when they find that their baby is doing best better. Feeds are, right. Because mm-hmm. you ask them about the whole day of what's going on. All day it's on and off, on and off. I'm like, how do things look in the evening and overnight? Oh! Nurse is just fine. I'm like, because it's dark and yeah. there's nothing to look at and it's quiet. And hopefully their brains are shut off just a yeah. little bit more yeah. than what's going on during the day. Yep. Yeah. Maybe try like a sound machine mm-hmm. or something like that. That's mm-hmm. kind of calming. Yeah. And I even say try to distract your baby. Try to have something to distract them. Like, what do you notice as something that they might focus on and look at at other times? Do you have a fan? Is there a light? Is there something that they like to look at? Like, stand right up against mm-hmm. there while you're trying. <laughs> yeah. A mirror so they can see themselves. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I see at the six months old, I, I since I'm the one who teaches the starting solids class, it's like, People think that once the baby starts eating some solid foods, they don't need 
as much milk. They're not going <clears> to <throat> nurse as much. But that's not the case. No. Mm-hmm. Still their main source it's of nutrition. still their main source. They're and just learning to eat a different way. They're exploring. Exploring. Yeah. It's not even eating. Like, they're just tasting something different. New textures. Yes. New flavors. Yeah. Yes. And I think we see that the babies aren't switching to less milk till closer to nine months. Right. So an eight-month-old is not going to nurse differently than a five-month-old or a six-month-old really. yeah. or a seven-month-old. They still need nope. the same amount of milk. And I think that's, that's an eye-opener for a lot of families. Yeah is their intake isn't really changing all that much. Right. We just assume they need more and more and more and more. Because, again, go back to our bottle feeding culture, is that some formula-fed babies, they do need more milk at four months or at eight months than they did at four months because they're growing and they have more needs, different needs. But they tend to take less bottles. Yeah. So we don't don't work that way. So (laughs) it all depends on our storage capacity of how frequently our babies are going to feed. And so, you know, if they need eight feedings a day to get the 24 to 28 ounces, they're going to still need eight feedings a day to get that. There are no two ways about it. Awesome. So I love these. I loved our top five. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe next time... We can talk. Well, I know we're bringing you back, Louisa, for your holistic sleep yep. talking. So because that's the big question these days yes. besides oh, yeah. breastfeeding. But we'll have to think of some fabulous breastfeeding scenarios for you guys in the future. So thank you, Louisa. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. Thank and you. I am Colette. And thanks for listening to the BRC's Feeding Frenzy. You can learn more about us at www.breastfeedingresourcecenter.org. Thanks for listening to The Feeding Frenzy. The BRC is a nonprofit organization committed to providing expert clinical and educational breastfeeding services. Find out more about us at breastfeedingresourcecenter.org.